0: If you're just joining us this morning, uh, you catch us in the middle pretty much of a 11-week sermon series about the entire story of the Bible, believe it or not. We are looking at the entire sweep of the biblical narrative in 11 weeks and we're calling the sermon series Long Story Short. And what I'd like to do very briefly is just sort of bring you up to speed and if you'd like more information, go to our website, look at the sermons and then Eric has done a masterful job recapping week to week but i'm going to do it very very quickly using those c's that you see up on the screen at the bottom let's take a look and we'll just go right through them creation god a good god one god creates everything seen and unseen by the power of god's word and it is good 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 god's creation is good and you and i we human beings we are the pinnacle of god's creation made in god's image given freedom to follow god to love God, to serve God, but we don't. We choose to follow ourselves and our own wills and that leads to the next sea catastrophe. The human race has fallen from God, sin has infected us inside and out and this accounts for the trouble we find ourselves in. But God is good and God wants to rescue us. So God calls one particular individual, Abraham, out of Ur of the Chaldees or modern Iraq, makes promises to Abraham to give him offspring, the Jewish people, a land, the land of Israel, and blessing to all the families of the earth. That's covenant. Then what God does is God forges these people through a series of about 400 years, uh, including time in Egypt when they were slaves, and then through a dramatic exodus, God builds in Israel community. That's the next sea. Israel, then, must take the land, the promised land, and they do so through the conquest. Once they're in the land, they look at all the other nations and they think, we need a king. Uh, they're told, remember, you already have a king, it's God. No, we want a human king. And so the monarchy, the kingship of Israel is started. We have Saul, we have David, we have Solomon, and then everything falls apart. Solomon's descendants split There's civil war in Israel. There's a northern kingdom in the, uh, up above called Israel, a southern kingdom below called Judah, and then devastation occurs. In 722-701 BC, due to their idolatry, Israel in the north is destroyed and decimated by the Assyrian invaders. They're gone. Little Judah in the south trembles, and pretty much makes the same mistake. They worship other gods, they break covenant with the Lord, and then we pick up our story this week. Today our focus is on that next C called conceit. If you want, take a look at the screen or at your bulletin cover. This is pretty much a synopsis of today. Sean Gladding in his book, you remember him, he was here several weeks ago to speak, this great book, The Story of God, The Story of Us. Sean Gladding writes this. It's as though the the Jews are speaking. Here was our great conceit. We acted against every one of the ten words, the ten commandments, and then dared to come before the Lord in God's temple to seek God's blessing. Such breathtaking arrogance. Yet, even then, God would not abandon us. We pick up the story today in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. It's about 608-609 BC, and Jeremiah stands outside the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he preaches this sermon, some have called his temple sermon. Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Let's listen. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, and there proclaim this message. if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, You are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? You'll recall those were Jesus' words in the first century when he was outside the temple and he condemned its corruption. He used this very verse to talk about the temple, a den of robbers. We continue. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh, a little bit north of here, where I first made a dwelling for my name, before the king of David, before 1,000 B.C., and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. I let it be destroyed, in other words. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, it is an ancient word. It is a hard word. And we would ask for your help in understanding it and applying it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you know this, but one of the things I enjoy doing with some of my spare time is I volunteer in a Christian ministry called Athletes in Action. And particularly, I help some of the local uh, staff with their ministry to elite professional cyclists and also amateurs. And one of the things I get to do from time to time is lead them in their virtual Bible study. Cyclists from around the world log in and we have a video conferenced Bible study. And most recently, just a few weeks ago, I led them in a study called The Bible in an Hour. And I sent out all my material to them, and they had it all, and we went through the study. And I'm pleased to tell you that I made another personal best. I did the whole thing in 42 minutes. (laughs) However, When I asked for questions, uh, one of the cyclists asked this, and it caught me up short. She said, let me ask you, what difference does knowing all this timeline really make? How is it important for me to know these details of history? Will it really help my life? Will it really impact the way I live? And I had to wait a moment, and then I said to her, I said, well, you know what? I think I'm giving you hooks to hang things on so that when you read your Bible you'll make sense of where you are." She didn't seem convinced. I then came up with another analogy. I said, well, it's a little bit like I'm giving you a skeleton, a bone structure that then can be enfleshed or fleshed out by your your devotion to the Lord and His work in your life and your time in Christian community. That seemed to go a little better. But what I realized is that by studying the, the narrative sweep of Scripture and knowing its history, It begins to make the story of Jesus pop. You can't know Jesus, who he is and what he's come to do in its fullness unless you understand a bit about the whole Bible. Because when you do, you begin to see how significant he is, how he fulfills certain things, how he is the climax of the biblical story. Uh, This is why we have a series like this. This is why we seek to know the whole of the scripture. And then we can read it in its individual parts. Well, that's what we're going to do in a a way today. We're going to attempt to understand what this ancient word through Jeremiah meant, then. And then we're going to try and bridge it across to what it means for us now. First, we've got to understand what was the problem then? What did the people of God struggle with then? Let's unpack this. There were several things that Judah was guilty of then. Number one, they broke covenant with the Lord by disobeying his law, that is the Ten Commandments. Specifically, they did three things. The first was that spiritually, they committed idolatry. They followed false gods. Secondly, socially, they acted unjustly. They oppressed the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Thirdly personally they behaved immorally they stole and murdered and committed adultery and perjured themselves According to my count at least they broke six of the Ten Commandments But they had another problem another major problem Secondly they held on to externals of religious devotion But they didn't let it change their lives by the way don't feel like you'd have to take all of this down. I'm going to send out an email tomorrow. If you're on our list, I'll try to uh, link in the outline, these slides, so you'll have that. So it's number two. They held on to externals of religious devotion, but they didn't let it change their lives. First, they clung to a place and a building, to Jerusalem and to the temple. Why do we get this threefold declaration? The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Why do we get this? We get it because the people of Judah were hanging on to an ancient promise that God said he would dwell in Jerusalem, dwell in the temple, and it sounded like forever, and they thought, well, great then, we can live however we like, and God will have to be with us, he'll have to support us, and we learned that's not the case. So they clung to a place and a building. Secondly, they listened to false prophets who simply reinforced their wrong views, Thirdly, they rejected God's word through true prophets. The Lord says, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. These were Judah's sins that God condemned through Jeremiah. Now, good Bible study means we start there, and then we have to do a second thing after we know what the problem was. We have to then see what did God ask those people to do. Well, specifically through Jeremiah, God told them this. He said, reform reform your ways and actions really change your ways and actions this is the prophetic call that you and i know so well in the old testament repent reform your ways and actions specifically the lord wanted them to do this number one deal with each other justly secondly do not oppress the foreigner the fatherless or the widow Thirdly, do not shed innocent blood in this place. Now listen to this. Apparently, the people of Judah, the religious establishment, they were stoning people, political opposition, that disagreed with them, including some of the prophets. They were stoning them in the temple precincts, killing them. It was a place for capital punishment, and this was abhorrent to God. So then, nextly, another thing, do not follow other gods. A huge problem for ancient Israel And then lastly, do not act immorally. Don't steal, murder, commit adultery, perjure yourselves, for example. Jeremiah tells them that if you do these things, then, then God will let you live in the land. In other words, to enjoy the blessings of the covenant, they need to keep the requirements of the covenant. If you do these things, then you can live in the land. With the implication that if you don't do these things, I will take you out of the land. Walter Brueggemann in his commentary says this, and it's fairly clear, I think, this quote. He writes, retention of the land to keep the land of Israel is not by inherent right, not by might, not by liturgy, but only by the practice of justice and obedience. Did you hear that? So important. Then he goes on and writes, The call to Torah obedience is raised as a bold challenge to the claims of the state. Well, what did Judah do? Judah did nothing. They disregarded Jeremiah's temple sermon, and God's promise came true. I will thrust you from my presence, and they were taken off the land. And we know from the Bible, but also from other historians, The Babylonian armies came in in 586 BC, they surrounded Jerusalem, they demolished the city, all its symbols, all its greatness and grandeur were leveled, the temple was destroyed, the people to a large degree were killed, and all the leadership of Judah was taken away to Babylon for 70 years. It was the worst, the lowest point in Israel's ancient history what happened? They wanted the blessings of covenant without keeping the requirements of covenant. They took God's grace and they cheapened it. And that was the problem then, what God called them to do then. But of course we can't leave it there. We now need to bridge across into today. We need to apply God's word then to us today. Well, as part of this season, we're calling Shaped by Scripture." Many of us are studying and reading the book by Sean Gladding called, this is, excuse me, the the story of God, the story of us. I'm just curious, how many of you have had some contact already with that book? Wow, look at that, look at that, that's really impressive. It's a really good book, I really recommend it. I like it because it tells us that the story of God in the Bible intersects our story. The story of God is, as we have faith in Jesus Christ, our story. And do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a hit TV program that many of us are addicted to on NBC called This Is Us. Anybody here watch This Is Us? Come on now. <laughs> oh, good, it's not just me and my family. Why do we like this story so much? Well, I think it's because we identify with the people. We, we all want a, a dad like Jack Pearson who, who sacrifices himself for his family. We all want to have these relationships and have a great marriage like Jack and Rebecca. We, we, we struggle with our addictions and our brokenness like many of the people do. I think most of all, we like this show, This Is Us, because in fact, this is us. We find our story here in this show. And that is like Sean Gladding's book. So how can we find our story in today's passage? Well, let's begin with the obvious. We are not ancient Jews living in the late 7th century BC. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's start there. We are not a theocracy. We are not living in biblical Palestine. And we are not under the same exact covenant that Judah was with the Lord then. Friends, remember your Bibles. Your Bibles are divided into two different but related halves. There is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that governed the relationship of God's people with God then. Then in Jesus Christ, we come to the New Testament, the New Covenant, the new way of relating to God in Jesus Christ. We are people of the New Covenant, relating to God through Jesus today. So we live in the second halves of our Bibles, So then what what does this text say to us today? Well, we need to remember, as Paul does in Romans 6, we need to remember that we are no longer under law, but under grace. No longer under the Old Testament law, but under the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law and all its requirements. Jesus Christ, in his perfect obedience, in his sacrificial death on the cross has fulfilled the law and all its requirements. We now, by faith in him, live in the new covenant. But grace, grace always, the free gift of God, must lead to life change, to a reformed way of life. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 6, how can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? If we are new in Jesus Christ, people of the new covenant, we need to live like it. And that's why, as God's people, we don't live immorally. We don't live unjustly. We don't just go through religious motions when our hearts are far from God. No, we are not religious hypocrites. We are God's new people. That's who we are at our core. Or, this is us. And yet, from time to time, we need the bracing corrective of God's Word. We need a text like Jeremiah 7 to probe us to prod us, to challenge us, to examine our ways, to see where we are in light of all God's done for us in Jesus. And so, with care and some caution, let's see if we can hear Jeremiah's word to us today. Are you ready? Okay, here we go, some questions. Where might we as Christians not be heeding God's call to biblical justice? Throughout the Old Testament, God shows particular concern for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. You read your Old Testament, it's all over it. The alien, the orphan, and the widow. These are particular powerless people that God cares deeply about. Who are these people? The alien is the immigrant in our country. Where do we neglect the needs and rights of immigrants today? God cared about them then, God cares about them now. The orphan. Where do we fail to care for children who have no parents or have had their parents taken away from them? God cared about them then. God cares about them now. And then there's the widow. Where do we overlook widows or the weakest in society? Are we attending to their needs? God cared about them then. God cares about them now. Friends, these are not questions of a particular political party. These are not some details of a progressive agenda. No, this is God's word. It was then and it is today. The God of the old covenant commanded his people to care for the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. It's all over our Old Testaments. Can the Lord Jesus of the New Testament care any less? Jeremiah's temple sermon calls us to account. Do you feel the burn? Let's keep going. Like Judah in the late 7th century, where do we as God's people demand our cultural privileges, our position in society, our power, our prestige, our prominence, our political security? Where might we demand these things but fail to live morally as God's people? Can we demand the privileges of being God's people without living like God's people? Let's keep going. Where does Christ's church, where can we as individual Christians think that religious ritual is what God really wants and fail to let our liturgies, our traditions, our spiritual symbols change the way we live? Are we guilty of spiritual hypocrisy? Are you feeling the uncomfortable pinch of God's word? I am. It's hard for us, it's hard for me, but let's keep going. Where are we in danger of idolatry? Now, I doubt that many of us are going to bow down and worship false gods of wood or stone. That's not how we roll. But you know, wherever we give ultimate allegiance to something other than God, that's an idol. Wherever we try to find our security and our significance in something besides the Lord, that's an idol. It can be our children, our homes, our careers, our money, our fitness, our health, our possessions, our reputations, anything we look to to give us our security and significance apart from God, that's an idol. Do you do this? I do this. I do this, I've confessed it to you before, and I've done so using the four C's I'm going to remind you of them this is what I struggle with these are my idols number one, control we laugh, I laugh but you know what, it's a a huge issue for me I, I like control I like to manage and control my life and its circumstances and sometimes I'll confess to you I want God to help me with that it's backwards there's control there's comfort, I like comfort who doesn't like comfort But too often, this is too dominant in my life. There's cleanliness. I like things clean and neat. I don't like messes. Uh, And then finally, there's convenience. I like things convenient. Are you like this? I'm like this. These are idols. Well, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that we live as people of a new covenant. That in Jesus Christ, we receive repeatedly God's forgiveness and cleansing. That as we struggle with these things there is the grace of the gospel to forgive us to make us new and to, to get us back on track I depend on that I know you do too God relates to us in a covenant of mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ so thank goodness for that thank God for that but this new covenant moves us to live above and beyond the old covenant we are new people people who follow Jesus Christ and seek to live with him in newness by acting justly, by living faithfully, by confronting idolatry. God said to the people then, and he says to us now, reform your ways and your actions. Really change your ways and your actions. That word was God's challenge to God's people then. It's God's challenge to us today. May we heed it in the freedom and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, like those people who heard Jeremiah for the first time, we feel the burn. We feel the chastening of your word. And yet we are grateful for you, our Lord Jesus Christ, for your shed blood, for the newness of life, and for a fresh start. So, Lord, help us this day and in the week ahead to walk and live in the newness that you give us. In your name we pray. Amen.